We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. Before we dive into our video today with all the data and the graphs and everything, I wanted to just apologize uh, for the people that follow me on Twitter and saw some of my tweets um, during the Sunday Night Football game versus the Steelers. Uh, this is probably one of the few times I'll ever be super negative on the Chargers. I normally try to stray the line of being super pessimistic and then super optimistic, just you know, being a neutral analyst, being someone who can like analyze things while the game is going on. I was doing that in the first half, but you know, when, when the Steelers mounted that big second half, fourth quarter comeback, there was just too much negativity that I was thinking about. And I sent some tweets that in hindsight, I probably never would have sent. I, I wouldn't have tweeted at all. I would have just let the game play out and, and tweeted or done whatever after that. But yeah, I'm, I'm never usually this negative. I promise it's not going to be like this going forward. Um, I, I know some people were like, you know, I thought you know, I was overreacting to some things about like the defense and the special teams and like the Chargers aren't Super Bowl contenders because they let the Steelers come back and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I still in the moment, I still stand by what I said, but I do apologize for being super negative because that's not usually who I am. And with that, uh, without further ado, let's hop into the video. Hello, everyone. Thank you all for being here. I'm joined by Tage Seth, who is an intern with me at PFF. Um, you know, one of the most knowledgeable people I talk to on a daily basis about football. And today, I mean, he's going to be helping me to analyze the Chargers and more specifically the offense, since he does have a history with Joe Lombardi. And I feel like he can share some really good analysis for everyone to hear. So Tate, thank you for joining me. Um, yeah. You want to plug, yeah, plug your socials and, and how you're doing today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that kind introduction. Um, yeah, you can find me at Twitter at Tage FB Analytics, so T-E-J FB Analytics. And yeah, excited to, to talk about the Chargers with you today, Arjun. Yeah, so I guess let's jump straight into it. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk on Chargers Twitter. I think the main uh, thing that the main point of conversation is Joe Lombardi. You've had as a Lions fan, you've had experience with him. Um, when he was the offensive coordinator in Detroit. And I mean, every Lions fan I've talked to you says he's kind of, he kind of ruined Stafford or like he forced Stafford to play the same system. And we're kind of seeing a similar thing uh, here in, in Los Angeles. Uh, before I let you go into it, I want to share this graph made by our friend Ben Brown, uh, PFF Ben Brown on Twitter, Ben Brown at PF on you know, PFF.com. Uh, so this is looking at like the scripted, 
offensive plays to start the game. So as you can see, the Chargers actually have the ninth best passing offense on scripted plays. So scripted plays are like the first, pretty much the first drive or the first 10 to 15 plays of every game that the offensive coordinator knows he's going to call beforehand. So, you know, Chargers have had a pretty good start to almost every game in terms of the first drives, putting up points. Uh, but yeah, so what, what are your overall thoughts on, on Joe Lombardi and like how he's done so far this season? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned his time in Detroit, and I definitely think that he started better with the Chargers that he did with the Lions. Um, you know, if you if you look at the Chargers, like it's it's tough to really complain about an offense that is ninth in EPA per play right now. Uh, but, you know, if you start to dig deeper on that, being 15th on early downs and third on late downs is something that there's been a lot of research on, you know, within the analytics community that is tougher to sustain year to year and week to week. Uh, late down performance is often seen as plays with higher variance and could go either way. But when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert that can make any throw on the football field, I think it is better to, um, or it is easier to sustain that type of late down performance on, on third and fourth down and stuff. But yeah, I've, overall, I've been encouraged with Lombardi um, with kind of some of the stuff that he has a process with. So being fifth in early down pass rate is really nice. And then also 10th in play action rate is really helpful for the offense in general. Yeah, it's good you mentioned the play action. And I think that was something I wanted to see, um, you know, be in the top, the Chargers be in the top 10, because that does maximize uh, some of Herbert's skill sets. Um, so obviously, I think there's one point you didn't mention, but we'll obviously we're obviously going to talk about it. And it's it's the low average depth of target. So um, for the people that are watching on YouTube, if you can see the graph, the Y axis is looking at a quarterback's EPA per play and the X axis is looking at their average area to pretty much how far do they throw the ball down the field. So if you look at Herbert's cluster of the players he's closest to, it's Tua, Matt Ryan and Ben Roethlisberger, not the most encouraging you know group of quarterbacks to be a part of but Herbert is you know above average in EPA per play but he's way below average and average uh, depth of target or average air yards however you want to look at it so is a low ADOT a, a point of concern for the Chargers moving forward since it doesn't really seem to take full advantage of Herbert's skill sets mm -hmm. yeah I mean my biggest complaint about Lombardi in Detroit was he threw too many screen passes all the time and I thought that didn't maximize Stafford's arm but this season they're they're not calling any screens at all so these are just short passes kind of that he's been scheming up um, with the types of routes that are being run and stuff and so I don't want to make it seem like a higher a dot necessarily means better quarterback play like if we look at this graph Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, and Patrick Mahomes have all been above average quarterbacks efficiency-wise this year, uh, despite a low ADOT. But, um, you know, it, it, the part that's concerning is that it's not playing to Herbert's strengths as a downfield passer. And we saw in that Steelers game that most of their offensive success came off explosive passing plays. Uh, whether it was, the, it was the third and 15 into triple coverage or the long touchdown to Mike Williams to put them ahead and stuff like that. So I, I would like to see him adjust to what Herbert and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are kind of good at and then use Eckler for, you know, the types of shorter like dump off passes. But right now I think there's too many throws that are traveling between zero and five yards from the line of scrimmage. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I mean, Herbert's, if you look at the stats, I mean, Herbert's number one in, in the number of quick game dropbacks. He's number one in the number of dropbacks, th- number of dropbacks throwing to his first read. And he's been number one, even though he's had a bye, bye week that some of the other quarterbacks haven't had. So, yeah, it is it is a bit concerning um, given, you know, what we saw from Herbert. And I think you're right. I mean, low dot has been proven to have like almost no no correlation to EPA per play uh, compared to other metrics. So I'm not too worried. I just and, you know, I think another point is like the Saints offense relied on all of these quick passes for so long. And I mean, it was one of the most efficient offenses of the past decade. So mm-hmm. if they can get Herbert to play like that, I mean, that's fine because we know he can break a big one at any time. But, you know, I think we would like to see a little more exciting brand of play because it does seem like it's a lot of long drives, 10, 11 play drives, which I guess where this wears the defense out, but it can get stagnant late in the game. Yeah. Um, and and like yeah. what you said about like, yeah, like it's, I mean, it's fine. Like the, the offense is, is fine, but I don't know if it can reach its full potential until it's really involving Mike Williams, uh, especially downfield. Like if you, if you look at the Chargers offense when they were four and one and they were flying high it was like all about Mike Williams I think he was averaging like around like 100 receiving yards in those games and then the games where the Chargers didn't score as much you know Mike Williams wasn't getting the ball and stuff and he's he's like a deep deep uh you know deep throw contested catch like type of guy that that should be yeah. getting the ball downfield so yeah I agree um another another point I wanted to talk to you about was the idea that Herbert struggles versus good defensive coordinators or he struggles to make post-snap reads. While I am on the train that like he struggles versus exotic defensive fronts, so we're talking Belichick, Harbaugh, what he doesn't struggle in is is making post-snap adjustments about the type of too high versus one high coverage. As, as if you're watching on YouTube, you can see Herbert's you know, way above average when it comes to um, – EPA per play when the defense doesn't rotate from one high to two high. And he's above average when it comes to EPA per play when they do rotate from one high to two high or vice versa. So just wanted to get your thoughts. I know we've watched a couple Chargers games together. Like, how do you think Herbert's been against good defensive coordinators? And if it, if he hasn't been that good, do you think that gets better with experience or what, what's the issue there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's kind of a blend of what we talked about earlier, where it's just kind of a, synergy with a quarterback and a play caller and so since this is Herbert's second play caller in his second season uh, he might have had some of the tendency stuff from the first play caller uh, you know especially when they're preparing for good defensive coordinators that I think they'll gain experience on uh, in regards to just having Lombardi there for multiple seasons and being able to build on things that they did well this season and then you know things that they didn't do well that they can kind of throw out and reevaluate and stuff like that okay so another point i wanted to bring up is like how herbert has done against uh, certain uh formations or looks with different types of men in the box so weirdly enough herbert has um has the number one epa per play why is it not showing there yeah herbert has the number one epa per play um against four man rushes and he has a decent sample size for that. Like 24 passes is like, it's not like the most, but at, we're only halfway through the season. I think it does portray somewhat of a good picture. So when the defense is only rushing four and is only showing four men in the box, Herbert's been killing coverage. 
This could also be some of those end of the game dropbacks where, you know, the defense is playing prevent, but that's been encouraging. Um, in terms of five-man rushes, Herbert's, oops, Herbert's had the fourth worst EPA per play. And so I think that that's one of those cases where the defense is showing like a, a linebacker blitzing up the A gap or something and Herbert's not able to make the right read. Um, this is the one I was curious about though, the, the six man, uh, six men in the box. And like Herbert's actually been pretty decent, you know, 14th best EPA per play um, against uh, six man boxes. I don't have to, I don't want to go through seven or we can do seven since like that has probably the largest sample size. Um, Herbert's been 10th. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like a mixed bag. He, he does well against four man rush or four man boxes. Doesn't do that well against five man boxes. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a good way of showing, you know, how Herbert's uh, stood the test of time against, you know, some of those exotic fronts. Um, and so, you know, we move on. We've talked a lot about the, the offense, but the real issue has been the defense here, bro. Like we, you and me were so excited for Staley coming into this season and the defense really is just flopped. Like, you know, I'm sure you're going to talk about the EP for play at some point, but like it hasn't looked good. They haven't been executing what Staley did in, you know, with the Rams. So just curious to get your thoughts. Like what, what do you think is wrong with the defense and like, should Staley be scrapping this light boxes too high scheme for something that, you know, might be more familiar with the players? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, we were, we were really excited to see what Staley was going to do with this defense. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I would, I would lean and say that the chargers are still probably a year away from achieving what they want to be to be Super Bowl contenders, mostly because of their run defense this season. Um, you know, we've, We've talked about how the passing game is kind of what controls winning in the NFL. But when you have the worst run defense in the league, it's it's really tough to get stops and stuff like that. So, you know, when you it's it's at the end of the day, it's about having the players to run the system. And so last season when the Rams played the lightest boxes in the NFL, you know, on early downs, they were playing five or six defenders in the box, which was not really a common thing to do. Um, and, and they were just saying, it's fine if you run on us. Uh, we just want to stop the explosive passing plays. They were able to do that and still stop the run by having someone like Aaron Donald who can wreak havoc on every play. And then also just big bodies who can plug gaps like Michael Brockers and Sebastian Joseph Day. But the Chargers don't have that. Uh, Jerry Tillery is uh, not playing well in his position. Um, He's, he's not good enough to plug those gaps and, you know, even get close to, to wreaking havoc. And Covington is kind of the same way where an interior defensive lineman that just isn't able to stop the run uh, when there's no linebacker help behind them. So, you, you know, you would like to see um, a, a really good defensive coordinator or just football mind in general adapt their scheme to fit their players. And we kind of saw that at the end of the Steelers game last week with uh, Bosa moving inside yeah. uh, in some peer in some peer passing situations to to help with the pass rush and basically ending the game on Ben Roethlisberger. So that's a start in the adaptation. So now we'll see if they start to do that with the run game to to help out that area of their defense. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know you you and me talked about this yesterday. Um, you know, Staley, the first like three or four weeks of the season, the Chargers ran the lightest boxes of any team in the NFL. But currently through 11 weeks and 10 games, the Chargers rank like 11th or 12th right now. I, I haven't checked the exact numbers, but they're like, you know, they've fallen because Staley understands that they can't just run these light boxes anymore. They don't have the personnel or they're just going to get gashed for five, six yards. 
every single rush. Um, so yeah, so that was that, that was really good. I, I appreciate all the analysis on the Chargers. Uh, before you know, we hop off. I wanted to help. I wanted you to be able to help me just talk about the Broncos, another team. I feel like you and me have looked at a little bit this this season and in, in the off season. So I mean, I guess we'll start. Like, what are your overall thoughts on Teddy Bridgewater? Because first of all, like EPA per play loves him for some reason. I don't like he's just super efficient. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Broncos offense, and then we'll get into the defense in just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the Broncos have played a really easy schedule so far, you know, when, when they open up the season against teams like the Giants and Jets and Jaguars, it was pretty easy for them to rack up points and look like a good football team. But uh, when they started playing some, some better teams like the Ravens uh, the following week, and then they played the Browns on that Thursday night game, it, it's, just, it's just clear that their offense isn't in a great place right now to kind of take them over the top because at the end of the day, Teddy Bridgewater is an average NFL quarterback. Yeah. And that that's fine if you have a great play caller, great weapons, great offensive line. Uh, you know, you can you can win a lot of games with that. But you know, the the play calling I don't think is that great. And then you have, you know, uh some some injuries along the skill weapons players and the offensive line. And it just leads to like kind of an average to below average offense that that doesn't really do much against good good football teams yeah that's a great point um and, and the last thing I wanted to ask you before before we end the video uh you know I think there's like a theory that people talk about like quarterbacks do better against defenses that are most similar to their own because they go against it in training camp and whatnot mm -hmm. Staley comes from the Vic Fangio tree we know this he's coach under Vic Fangio he knows what Fangio likes to do you know against quarterbacks and you know they played against Mahomes together for one year so against big arm quarterbacks to be more specific so how do you see Justin Herbert doing this weekend especially against a defense that is super similar to what Staley runs yeah I looked into uh how Fangio defended Herbert last year and so when they played in week eight, he ran a lot of cover one and cover three. Um, you know, I think he was trying to do kind of the Belichick thing where, you know, Belichick really dominated Herbert last year with a lot of the cover one stuff and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the Chargers offense went off. I think, I think they scored like 29 or 30 points in that game. So when they met again in week 16, he played a lot more cover four and cover six, which is kind of what his roots are based in and what yeah. made that 2018 Bears defense so special uh, that both Banjo and Staley were a part of that staff. And so I think he'll he'll go with that game plan um, this week and the Chargers will probably be preparing for that. So yeah, I'm really interested to see how Staley attacks kind of like his own defense, right? Where he, yeah. he knows that defense inside and out and he knows, he knows the weaknesses of it. It'll probably be a big Austin Eckler game, uh, whether it's, you know, running the ball uh, between the tackles or um, kind of catching like swing passes and stuff like that. Like the one he scored I agree. Uh, the 15 yard touchdown on against the Steelers. So I think, I think Eckler will have a great day against, against this Broncos defense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think Broncos linebackers have been pretty decimated due to injury. Mm -hmm. Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell uh, both out due to injury. I'm pretty sure for a while. So taking advantage of that weak linebacking corpse is going to be, you know, something to monitor. So Tage, I want to appreciate you uh, for coming on uh, for this episode. You know, we learned a lot. I learned a lot about Lombardi and some of your thoughts. Um, once again, if you want to plug your socials before, before we end the video. 
Yeah, sure. You can you can find my work at uh, pff.com. Just just type pff tage sets into Google and you'll be able to find it. And then you can follow me on Twitter at tage fb analytics. Thanks, Arjun. Yeah, and guys, thank you all for joining. And with that, as always, bolt up. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.